We've been through, uh, going through Daniel um, for the last number of weeks, and we were at Daniel chapter 9 last week, if you remember, so we're going to go back um, to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, and I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I'm going to read through verse 18. Daniel chapter 7, 1 through 18. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. And after this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and, the domin- and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which... Three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousands stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. And the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for 
your grace. Lord, thanks for the hope that we can have because of what your word tells us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that this morning that you just remove every distraction from our hearts and our minds. You'd calm our hearts and minds. You'd, make a, you'd open up your word to us, that we'd hear you through your word. And God, that you would encourage us and help us. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I don't think I could have picked in a more, or we landed on a more culturally appropriate passage on today, October 31st, uh, on, on Halloween. I mean, this morning, from leaving my house, I drove past a skeleton uh, hanging on a noose from my neighbor's yard, and about 12 other skeletons on the way to get here, and a bunch of other ghosts and goblins all the way um, to get here. And, and our culture right now, this week and this weekend particularly, um, is obsessed by two things, candy and creepiness. I mean, we are just a culture, we sell more candy this weekend than any other time of the year, and creepiness is all over the, the place. But in all of that, and it can be fun, and in all of that though, underneath all of that, there is, with many people, a creepiness in their life that they can't figure out and they want to soothe it with all kinds of candy or any other type of comfort, and there's just confusion, and there really is no true comfort. But there is this quest. I mean, we feel it. We see it in people. There's this, there's this quest when they look at the world, and they say, this is, there's got to be something different. This isn't the way it's supposed to just be. This just doesn't seem right. They're looking for something that is joyful and hopeful, which is why I think people love decorating, dressing themselves up to be somebody else for just a few hours to escape their own quest of the creepiness of their own life and the creepiness of that they feel in the world. And this is a reality that people feel, and people are trying to figure it out, and it's been this way, but even recently, um, I don't know if you heard about this, Mark Lohr, he's an ex-Walmart billionaire, is desiring to build a city, he wants to buy land someplace in America, maybe out west or um, down south, he wants to buy a massive amount of land and build a city that he's going to name Telosa after the Greek word telos, which means highest purpose. And the desire of building this purpose, he said, is this. He says, quote, we are going to be the most open, the most fair, and the most inclusive city in the world. What he wants to create is, after looking at the creepiness of the world that exists now, all the struggle, all the confusion that people feel, this billionaire has seen it and he says, you know what, I want to build, I want to buy a whole bunch of land, build a city, we'll call it highest purpose, we'll make it that way, we will make a man-made utopia. And people can come and live there and it can be candy day all the time. It'll never happen. It will never happen. We cannot create man-made utopias. Herman Velbekamp said this, because of the truth of the scripture, we can know this. The, the smartest people in the world, the ones who are making all the plans in the world, who have all the money in the world, when they don't know scripture, they don't really know anything. They, 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 they will never have this type of utopia. When I saw that article, I said, that, that's, that'll never happen. 
It's never going to happen. And here's why. Herman Veldkamp said that the simplest child of God, this is huge encouragement for us with the scriptures, the simplest child of God can give you a better account of where international relations are heading than the most expert statesman, statesman unfamiliar with God's word. They just don't know what the Bible says, what, what, what the reality is, where the world is going. The Bible was written, so it's showing that the world's heading in a direction. It's going somewhere. It, there's, a, there's a conclusion to come. And Daniel chapter 7 is a chapter where Daniel gets this picture of what is to come. Daniel chapter 7, as you just read it, if you haven't read it in a while, it's not the simplest of passages to understand, but one author said, once convinced of the truth of this chapter, that this chapter is proclaiming, the reader is in, is in possession to the key of history. We, we can know as Christians what is coming. We, we can know that a, no, there isn't ever going to be a man-made utopia. And as we read this, this passage, it, it changes. For the first six chapters of Daniel is more narrative, and the second half of Daniel is more prophetic. And then chapter 7 is where the book kind of makes that change. And as you start reading the Bible, and you want to know these things, and you can get to chapter 7, and there's two great dangers that happens when we come to passages of Scripture like this. The, the first danger of Daniel chapter 7 and passages like that is just to kind of omit it and just to kind of skip over it and say, well, that's weird. Um, I don't really know what that's talking about, so I'm just not going to deal with it. I, I just won't read it, um, and, I, and I'll move on. That's a danger and a ditch you don't want to go into. The second danger and the second ditch is to become obsessed over it. So much so that you are become an unbalanced Christian, that all you can think about is figuring out the end times and how it's all going to work out and making your little charts and figuring out which this animal means and what that animal means and, for, and, and trying to figure it all out. Here's what has happened to people who have taken that approach. They, they, they usually, they obsess over these things, so much so that eventually, oftentimes, they obsess themselves right out of the faith or right out of the fellowship of the faith. Because then they start saying, well, you don't agree with me? You, you think it's different? I spent years studying this, and this is what this means, and it's more conflict. Those are two dangers when we come to looking at a passage like Daniel chapter 7, just to admit it and skip over it, or to obsess over it and try to figure out every little detail. That's not the point of them. There are two positive things to help us as you read these passages and you try to see what God is saying to us. The first encouragement I would give you is focus on the things that are clear and, and the central purposes of these passages. As you look at these things, focus on what's central and, and what's clear. And then the second thing we have to do is you have to understand the form. The, the first half of Daniel is narrative. We, we've seen these great stories, and we love those stories of his account. And the, the second half is apocalyptic. It's apocalyptic writing, which, which has the idea of revealing things and has to do with how God 
closes out history and how he is going to bring everything into eternity. And when you read apocalyptic literature like Daniel chapter 7 and even in Revelations, there's a lot of imagery and there's a lot of pictures and it's supposed to promote deep feelings in you and it's supposed to make you feel something. It's trying to get an image in your head. It's supposed to, to, to make you think and, and there's, it's, it's trying to paint deep pictures that sometimes we don't fully understand but you have to understand this is different than just a simple narrative this is apocalyptic it's god revealing to us through daniel what his plan is for eternity and here's the driving truth of the passage of daniel chapter 7 is that god is presently and permanently on the throne of the world and he will bring his people through all troubles and all wrongs will be made right. But by, by giving a big sweep of history, God gives us the help to persevere in the pains of life, even 2021. All the stuff that you drug in this morning, all this tension, all the anxiety, all the concerns, all the frustrations, this passage is God giving us this big sweep of history to say, listen, I'm on the throne. Here's how you can persevere. Know that you can persevere. Why does Daniel get this? I mean, Daniel's place in history is as he was this young teenager, and God promised that if people didn't obey them, they were going to be sent into exile. He gets sent into exile. Daniel stands in Babylon, and God gives Daniel these gifts, it says in Daniel 1, of visions and dreams. And God gave Daniel the, all of that to help the original readers who were still in exile, all these people of Israel, the people of God, wondering, where's God in this? How, how long are we going to be in exile? Why are we still in exile? When are things going to change? It doesn't seem like God is God and is, is, is fulfilling his promises. And so Daniel wrote the book of Daniel to help those people who were feeling the same anxieties and tensions and stresses that you might be feeling with your own life to say, where is God in all this? And God gave it to Daniel to help them and also to help us, to help the people of God to hold on to their faith, to persevere in their faith. And how, how did he do it? He did it through narratives, but in this passage, he did it through a dream. And this chapter 7, it divides itself up pretty simply. The first 14 verses are Daniel and his dream, and the second half, verses 15 through 28, is Daniel getting the interpretation of his dream. So let's just look at Daniel's just dramatic dream. He says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions. And, and then he, he, he saw these, all these dramatic events. If you look back in Genesis, in chapter 1, when Daniel, verse 4, when Daniel was taken from Babylon, or taken from Jerusalem into Babylon, when he got in there, they took all the wise guys, all the smart kids, and Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, I want you to teach them everything that we know. Teach them about all our practices, all the Babylonian ways, all our teachings. And in all of that, Daniel was taught 
All of these things. Babylon had these big dramatic ideas of how the earth came or beasts were coming up out of the earth and out of the ground. And that's how, that's how their creation story was. And, and Daniel learned all of these things. He was taught all these things. So that that's not something he wanted to be taught, but that's what he learned when he got taken away. It was all used for God's purposes in his life later on. That years later, he would not realize that he would have this dream. And it was his, part of those teachings were the ways the Babylonians would have thought. Just like when we dream. You, you watch something on TV, you go to sleep, you dream about something you just saw. That was in Daniel's brain, which helped him and God used it to point and reveal to us what we need to know for the future. And, so, and then this dream is a dream. He, he emphasizes that in verse 2, verse 7, and verse 13. I mean, he's dreaming. He's on his bed and he's dreaming. He may be tossing and turning through this because he, he says he turns uh, different colors. He gets anxious. This is a nightmare uh, as he's watching this, which is totally different, if you remember, from Nebuchadnezzar's dream. When he had all his dreams and Daniel interpreted those, they, they stirred them up, but, but, Dan, but Nebuchadnezzar looked at his dream as something with power. Daniel looks at these dreams, and, and they, they, they terrify him. And as he goes into it, he says this in verse 2. He's dreaming. Then he wrote the dream down, which is what they would have done. Very common to do that in that time. They would have wrote that kind of dream down. He wrote the dream down and told the sum of it. And Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night the four winds of the earth were stirring and the sea. There was this ferocious sea in Daniel's dramatic dream. In that time, and even in the Bible, it talks about the, the, the sea. It's always with this troubling feel. It's, it's dangerous. It's mysterious. It's, there's hostility to it. I mean, this is still true for us today. Many filmmakers, when they're, when they're making a film, especially about the ocean, when I mean, they have the waves crashing on it, it just, just draws you in. It's dark, it's scary, it's compelling. This is how Daniel's dream was. He sees, first of all, this ferocious sea that's just troubling, it's, it's mysterious, and it's, it's demonstrating all these troubles. And up from these of the ocean, four different fantastic, terrible beasts pop up. And it's a representation of the world, not just the chaos of the world and the struggle and the tossing. And as you look through history and see how the waves of the world have changed, one nation will crash up against the shores of another nation, take over it, and the map changes. And then years later, another nation will crash up against the shores of another nation, take over it, and the map has to change. It's like this turbulent sea is how the world is represented. And from this, these Four fantastic, terrible beasts pop up. The first one's a lion who has this, these wings of an eagle. In verse 4 it says, and then he's got this mind of a man. And, and he's just this, this bizarre beast. And they're like these things. And the next one in verse, chapter, verse 5, it's like there's, there's a bear that comes out. It's like a bear, he says. It's raised up. And in its mouth are ribs from the last meal it's had. And it's ready to attack. And it's told, hey, go out, eat, and devour. And then the, verse 6, there's this leopard thing that pops up. And it's got four wings and four heads. And it moves fast. And it takes off. And then verse 7, this one is just so terrifying to Daniel. He can't even figure out what it is. It's just, it's this unbelievable 
beast. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. I mean, this, this thing, he could not even describe what it was like. It, it, was, it was like a beast. And then it was like a machine because it just like had these, these teeth of iron. And then it was like a man. And then out of this little beast, terrifying beast, there was, it had ten horns. And then all of a sudden, three of the horns get plucked off and another little horn pops up with the eyes of a man and a mouth. And it's, the little mouth is just talking away. It says in this translation, great things, which is really proud, boastful things, which we would understand that today. We, we get technology, machines, terrorizing things, and we get propaganda and how things in the kingdoms just take off. This is, this is the picture of these four beasts that pop up, and then it, it changes. Daniel is having this dream. He's getting anxious about it, and he's flipping back and forth in his bed, and he sees that in his dream, and then he rolls over, and then the scene changes. And then it says he is in this throne room scene. And he sees the Ancient of Days took his seat. And the Ancient of Days is the name for God. And he sees his clothing is white as snow, which represents God's purity and his holiness. And he's on this flaming throne with fiery flames, wheels which are burning with fire. It's an unbelievable scene. Fire in the Bible is always talking about this, this judgment. But it's these wheels and this throne, and it moves. It just shows that God's throne, he, he is, he's not confined to any place. He, he can see everything. He knows everything that's going on in the world. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your presence? If I go to, to the bottom part of the sea, you're there. If I go up into the skies, you're there. There's no place that I cannot be. God sees everything. He's seen all of your life. He's seen everything. And, and this is the picture that Daniel gets. And then it goes from another scene. He goes from that part, then he goes to the throne room scene, and then after that, the Ancient of Days, on the clouds, there's this coronation scene in verse 13. Because every time he, he sees these things, and David, Daniel marks them off with, I saw, I looked, in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came like one like the Son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. In the Old Testament, God is always shown and seen, not always, but he's shown as coming on the clouds. Psalms talk about this, God riding on the clouds. Who, who do we know who rode on the clouds? We know that the Son of Man in the Ancient of Days, it says, And behold, with the clouds of him there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented for him. David, Daniel didn't know this. But we know through the rest of the fullness of Scripture that Jesus came. He ascended on the clouds and he went to the Father and sat down on his throne. And Jesus has been given dominion and glory and power and his kingdom shall reign forever 
and ever. Daniel didn't know that, but we, 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 we can see that. And Daniel's response to this in verse 15, as for me, Daniel, my spirit was anxious and greatly alarmed. That that's what it was supposed to do. It was supposed to stir Daniel. It's supposed to stir us. We're supposed to read that and say, what? This is troubling. There's trouble everywhere. Where are these creatures? And Daniel was disturbed by this. He saw all these things. He wasn't sure what they all meant. And he was anxious and disturbed by it. It made an impression on him. And then his Daniel's dream, this dramatic dream, it just, it's interpreted. He walks up to one of these angels or these hosts that was with the Ancient of Days, the thousands upon thousands of ten thousands surrounding God on his throne, and he walks up to him and says, listen, what's going on? What, what does all this mean? And he says, I, verse 19, then I desire to know the truth about the four beasts. And he's told because I approached one of those who stood there and I asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These four great beasts, verse 17, are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. As, we, as you saw all the pictures of Daniel's dream, all these characters coming up, there's really the interpretation. The angel doesn't give a lot of particulars. He just says, hey, these, this is, these are four kings that are going to arise up. They're successive, we know that. Uh, but here's what we also know. They, they seek to go against God and his people. That's what it says as you read further. They're, they're going to attack the people and the saints of God, if we would have kept reading further. The, the, these four beasts come up, they're successive. They, they seek to go against God and his people, which is why God judges them. And they seem to go from bad to worse, which is the picture of the world. It's not going from bad to better. Our world, is, as we see it, is, it's progressively going a different direction. We, we see that. We sense that. People sense that. And there has been moments where God has put a stop on some of that and given a reprieve to the world and brought in revival. But for the most part, we don't, think, we don't see things turning around for the better. We, we see things going from bad to worse. And there's been a lot of speculation about who, who are these four characters. I mean, what is, who, who, who are these four beasts? And people for years have speculated, maybe there was, and, and scholars have looked at it and said, well, one, one, there's probably Babylon. And you may hold this view. It's a picture of one's Babylon. The second would be the Medo the Medes and the Medo-Persia, and then the third one would be Greece, and then the little horn that comes off is Antichius Epiphanes, who was a vicious ruler against the Jews. Through history, we can see that, and that makes some sense. Or some people have said, well, it's, it's Babylon, and it's Medo-Persia that come up, and then it's Greek, and then it's Rome, and, and, and the, because the leopard was to be like Alexander the Great, and he was so quick and fast at taking over the world. 
That may be true, but I think the, what we're supposed to get from this is not the particulars. The, the angel did not give Daniel the particulars. What he gave was examples of all the kingdoms that rise and fall and are around the earth for, for centuries now, and they just progressively get worse, and they go against God, and they go against the people of God. Verse 25 says, And he shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the laws. I think, when I was growing up, we heard all kinds of things. This is, the, the bear is Russia, and the, uh, the other one is China. And because there's no eagle in here or anywhere in the New Testament, America's never around. And so, and we would, I was at church one time, I was telling somebody this week that we would hear this stuff, and I would be freaked out. Uh, like, you know, we, I was at a service one time, talking about these things, and behind our church was a pond and some weeds, and they would, halfway through the service, he scared the bejeebies out of all of us, and he said, now let's follow me back side. So we went outside, and he showed us by the pond how to take some of the weeds so we knew how to cook them and survive when all this came crashing down on us. And as an 11-year-old, I'm like, whoa, and you want to stay away then, and it scares people to read the Bible. That's not the intent. It is to inspire and to give us a stir. But, but he, we're not supposed to try to figure all these things out. He, the angel didn't give Daniel that information. But he did give us all this stuff to stir us to say, this, this is, though, how the kingdoms of the earth exist. We see this. They rise up and they devour and they will go after God and the people of God. And we in America say, well, that's going to come. But just think how many Christians around the world have been experiencing this for generations. And they have felt the bear, the leopard, the terrible beast, crushing them for centuries now in their faith all across this country. Even this morning, people who are huddled in little groups because they aren't freely able to worship. One author said this, Lucas, whether we like it or not, or understand it or not, the Most High has given a measure of sovereignty to human rulers. As a result, from time to time, history does seem to be in the grip of chaotic, bestial forces. As has been all true at various times and places, at times God's people are devastated. That's the picture of the world. That's the picture and the reality that most Christians around the world have lived with for centuries. Yet through it all, the Ancient of Days has been on his throne, and he is still on his throne. So Antiochus IV, Nero, Attila the Hun, Genghis Khan, Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, Pol Pot, Kim Jong-un, Osama bin Laden, all of them are gone, and some will soon be gone. And none of that will change, that the Ancient of Days is still on his throne. And we see this in even lesser ones, little lesser kingdoms that disturb us. You know, Cliff at work, who thinks it's his kingdom, and in the office, and he's messing with you all the time, or Karen in the office, who's constantly just trying to drive her kingdom, and you get frustrated with it, and think, when is God going to give me peace in this, and it's just this, this world? These are how little powers and kingdoms have always existed. And what we're supposed to know is what Psalm 37 one says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. 
Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. But the Ancient of Days is ruling and reigning forever. What's Daniel's dream supposed to mean for us? I mean, why should we care that we're reading some dream that some guy had 2,500 years ago? Why does, it, why does it matter to us? Why should it matter to us? And how does it really help us in 2021? I think John Stott is right when he said one of the reason why this should matter to us, this hard-to-understand dream, is because the New Testament talks about this reality and references it numerous times. And Jesus points back to it constantly by calling himself the Son of Man. It's his favorite name for himself. The Son of Man. 30 times in the book of Matthew, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man. Just in a sense like, listen, go back and read Daniel, the one who comes to the Ancient of Days, who, who's going to be thrown. That's the Son of Man, like the Son of Man. That, that's me. I'm the Son of Man. And he's, he's pointing back to us. So Jesus talked about this. He highlighted it so it should matter to us. So what's God saying to us? In Daniel chapter 7, I think the first thing, I got three things for us. First, I think God is saying to us and to you, be horrified if you choose to remain resistant to God and love your sin. It should make an impression on you that the Ancient of Days sees and knows all. And if you think in some way that you can escape the eyes of God and the truth of his holiness and his judgment by resisting him and loving your sin, he wants you to be horrified by that. Horrified so much so that you will see that there's a better way, that he has great love for you, that, that he, he loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross, to take your sin on the cross, so you won't have to suffer the judgment of God. The wrath of God doesn't have to fall on you. But if you think to yourself, I, I don't need God. I don't need Christ. Daniel 7 is there to horrify you, to wake you up, to say, this is the direction the world is going. Don't rem stay resistant to God. See Jesus. Know that he is gentle and lowly, and he cares about the weary, that God is near the brokenhearted, that even though your world might seem like it's crashing down, and it feels like if my world's crashing down, then God's against me, that's not true. He he's near to you. So don't resist God, draw near to God. See Jesus, don't love your sin. As a Christian, you're like, well, I can just keep staying in this. God loves me. I don't need to change. I don't need to fight sin. No, you need to fight sin. You need to resist sin because God sees it. There's a, there's a judgment on sin. Well, we need to be horrified by that. But secondly, so if you, if you are resisting God, see that and ask God to, to show him himself. Ask him to see, let you see Jesus. Secondly, for those who are in Christ, what, what I think this is saying to us is we, we, are, we can be comforted even while corruption and conflicts of life are coming. Even if it's wave upon wave. Doesn't that seem the way it, be, it happens? 
When, when, when something starts to struggle you and something starts to go breaks down, all of a sudden something else breaks down and one hour of your life, just sometimes it seems like it's wave upon wave upon wave. And you're like, how long, O Lord? Daniel chapter 7 is to show us that we can be comforted that even while corruption and conflicts of life are coming, we, we can have great comfort. We need to know that, that, that the breeze that we see in Daniel chapter 7, all these beasts that prop up, God, they, they show us that they bring out that the reality of evil exists. There is real evil. There is real evil in the world. And we need to recognize and see that. But we also need to recognize that the Ancient of Days highlights the reality that evil ends. He, he reigns above it. And evil is going to come to its end. And the saints of God have a part in the kingdom of God. Twice in this passage, he talks about how the saints are going to be a part of this kingdom. We, we have great comfort in that, that even while this corruption comes and the conflicts of life are coming, we can be comforted in the trial. And third, we need to be clear that you have a reason and a responsibility to walk humbly with God in the midst of hurts and horrors even in the midst of governments and issues you might not like or visions and things you see in the world, you still as a Christian have a responsibility to walk humbly with God in the midst of it. We need to live in such a way that we resist this hunger for power, that we resist to try to live our lives like these beasts that come up that we devour and conquer in our homes, in our workplaces, with church friends, with church family, in the culture. That, that's not what we're called to. We need to resist also the haunting lies of the evil one that says God is not in control of this mess that you see. It's a lie from Satan. You look at your life, you look at your situations, and you say, Satan wants to lie to you. The evil wants to lie to you and says, so, no, you, 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 you've sinned too much. God's against you. You messed up too much. He's not going to intervene this time. It's a lie. We need to resist that haunting lie. And then we need to refresh ourselves constantly with the word of God in worship. This is how the world should see us. The world should see us as real humans. We don't read Daniel chapter 7 and think, well, I got it all figured out. I don't have to care about this world. That's not how the world should see us. The world should see us as real humans. We, we weep with those who weep, and we rejoice with those who rejoice. We, we live in the reality that there is great evil, and we don't understand it, and we weep with that. We also see the good that people are doing and rejoice with that, and we help promote it. We are real humans living in a real world, but we also are humble. They should see us as humble, and they should also see us that we live our lives with honor that, that that you are an honor to your profession when you leave church when you walk into this week and people see you in your workplace you're living a different direction you're, you're living it for a different reason they may be trying to build this human utopia but we know it'll never last but we can go to work and we can go and live in our neighborhoods in our families living in such a way with such great honor they say there's something that's compelling about you but you don't care about the same things i care about the same way i do why what is different about you but man it's an honor to work with you 
Man, it's an honor to have you on my team at work. There's just something about us. This is what Daniel 7 is supposed to do. Our hope is that his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. That, that's the hope of Daniel chapter 7 for Christians. So this is what it means. Those three things, let me just give you what it means, I think, for this afternoon on a Halloween when the world is filled with candy and creepiness and trying to figure out what to do with it, and sometimes Christians don't know what to do with it. This is what you do. You, 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 if you can, you sit outside, or you sit at your door, and you pass out good candy, and you smile. And when the ghost or the goblin or the superhero shows up, you smile, and you rejoice, and you encourage, and you bless. Because Martin Luther said, the best way to drive out the devil, if he will not yield to text of Scripture, is to jeer and flout him, for he cannot bear scorn. So this afternoon, we get to look at our world and we say, you know what? Bring the ugliest beast you can. Nothing, Satan. That doesn't scare me. So here's some really good candy. And here's some really goodness for my town and for my city. Because our kingdom that we have coming is an everlasting kingdom. This is not the end. And one day, every wrong you've ever experienced will be made right. And we will reign with God in eternity. So as it says again in Psalm 37, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Let's pray.